It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Welcome to the newest edition of the Giants huddle podcast. My name is John Schmelk. Today's guest is Connor Rogers, lead draft analyst for Bleacher Report and host of the Stock Exchange podcast for Pro Football Focus. Before we get to Connor, just a reminder, you can find the Giants huddle podcast on your favorite podcast platforms, the Giants mobile app, and of course at Giants.com slash podcast. Connor, I've enjoyed your work for a while. We have never had you on our show. We do a lot of draft coverage here with the Giants. Thanks for being with us, man. How are you? I'm good, John. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to talk about these two top 10 picks today and much more. Yeah, absolutely. Both of us are kind of gearing up to, to head out to Indianapolis for the Combine next week. Uh, that should be fun. We'll be doing shows there all week. Give me a feel for this class, Connor, before we kind of get into some details. You know, I've watched probably the, the top 30 or 40 guys in this class, and I, my sense is that, and my opinion is that there aren't quite as many blue chippers as you would normally get in a normal year. Guys that you feel really good about last year, they'll probably, even if you take the quarterbacks out seven or eight of those guys this year, maybe half of that you're feeling just the strength of the top of the class. I think that's a great place to start. I think what you need to be prepared for with this class is that last year it was a unique year that we were spoiled with star talent, right? And a lot of people fall in the trap of that's because there was you know, four quarterbacks everybody knew was going in the top 15. And then, you know, obviously ended up being more as the process got deeper. But when you looked at what Jamar Chase did, even Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, Micah Parsons in a very small sample, but that small sample, you can see that he'd be a superstar. The top two corners in Sertain and Horn, it was a star class. There was names that you knew were going to be potential faces of their rosters for the next eight to 10 years, wherever they landed. And I think this year, while it has less of that, it does have a lot of high floor players that can come in and be foundational pieces. And, and like you said, those are along the offensive line. There's a lot of pass rush help. It might not be the Miles Garrett, Chase Youngs of the world, but guys that are in that next tier, closer to what Brian Burns was coming out of college, that can come in and they can, you know, be a high-end number two pass rusher for you on a lot of teams and number one that can eventually get to that double-digit sack total. And what's unique to me, John, is why I've been I've been building a big board is the fact that I think there are about 15 to 18 players you, you really love. And then the pool gets even from almost 20 to 55 that, yeah, certain guys will fall better in certain places. But overall, that 20 to 55 range is just nice, solid starters that can come in and be borderline plug and play. Uh, but they're not going to be all pro caliber players. Yeah. And, you know, my sense too, Connor, is that you're going to have a lot of surprises here early in this draft where one team is going to fall in love with a guy. Another team might have him as their 16th best player. And this team might have him as their fourth best player. So I think you are probably going to get a lot of surprises, but at the same time, probably not a lot of movement, right? Because you don't have those top quarterbacks teams are going to be looking to trade up for. I think that's exactly right. I think the fact is how varying the grades are coming out from team to team. Really, the only players I can find unification on in this class is Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre yeah. Dame. There won't be a team that puts a bad grade on him. There won't be a team that puts really just a good grade on him. He will have uh, borderline elite grades, but the fact that he plays safety is going to limit how high he can really go in this draft. And then Aiden Hutchinson is somebody that you know, might not, once again, he's not getting those Miles Garrett, Chase Young grades, but he's getting really high floor grades that he's almost cemented into the top three picks of this draft. A lot of people would be surprised. Uh, I would be shocked if he made it by the Lions at two. I know they absolutely love him and feel great about making that pick at two. 
the three tackles at the top, Evan Neal and, and Ika McQuanu, are really the two that everybody loves. I love Charles Cross and, ha- and have you know him right there with them. So when you look at this class, though, after that, the wide receivers, there's no consensus top guy. The running backs, no consensus top guy. Same with quarterback, and on and on it goes. That, to me, is shocking and not very common draft to draft to have this many position groups that there is no consensus from really any team. And it's not just one or two guys battling it out. It's one to four, one to five guys battling it out. Yeah, no question. So let's start the edge players because you mentioned Aiden Hutchinson. And Kayvon Thibodeau is a guy that if you talk to people three or four months ago, I think people are like, oh, this guy's going to be the top overall pick in the draft. And now you're hearing from around front offices. Maybe there are some questions about him. I think you obviously love the raw tools. So how do you think those two guys might be able to help or hurt themselves when they get to the combine and do some of that testing? Uh, They go out there, and and a lot of it you won't see, right? A lot of it for them is the interviews and the medicals. And, you know, Thibodeau was banked up this year. There's no doubt about that. Hutchinson in 2020 had a season-ending injury that happened in the third game of his year, I believe. So when you look at it, they both have – every player has a medical pass that teams have to dive into and make sure it won't impact their long term. Obviously, how they interview, how they're going to be implemented, not just in the scheme but in the culture of that team – Um, And then, obviously, the testing, both these guys should test off the charts. I think with Aiden Hutchinson, it's the short area quickness. That's going to be the three cone. Uh, With KT, it's going to be probably everything, to be honest with you. I I know... I don't know if people have soured on him or a lot of high-profile analysts have revealed their grades, and they never did that with KT, uh, even back to summer or during the season. But uh, for me, I-, I would not bet against him. I think there is too much raw physical talent. Like you said, he's so explosive. He can get off the snap. I've seen a lot of speed to power. I think the the skill set will expand over time with the right coaching. I don't know if the coaching at Oregon really maximized his ability as a pass rusher, while at Michigan over the years, uh, we've seen that. We saw it last year with Quiddy Pay. Now we see with Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. There is coaching in the trenches there and that you know is, is different than what you're seeing on the West Coast. That's just the reality of the situation. So I think there is so much raw talent there. Neither of those guys escape the top five, no matter how much buzz you're hearing around and not the best buzz for Thibodeau at this moment. After the combine, that'll come back down to earth. So you think realistically there is a chance Thibodeau is there at five for the Giants? Is that one of those borderline hold your breath for the first yeah. hour of the draft scenarios? It absolutely is. hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, let, let's, I mean, you go through it really quickly, right? If Jacksonville right. takes a tackle at the top, a lot of people think Evan Neal, uh, that helps the Giants right out of the gate. It even helps the Jets out of the gate. And, and that's going to factor into what happens to the Giants at five because then you have, like I said, I think Aiden Hutchinson goes at two. Texans, total wild card. Just no one knows. My, my understanding of that front office coming from New England, they always put a priority on secondary players. And, and that comes across from leadership, versatility, uh, floor, ceiling. And Kyle Hamilton checks all those boxes where you look at it and go, okay, maybe they are the team that takes Hamilton at three. You know, if they moved on from a Laramie Tunzel, do they get involved with Equanu or Neal if he's there? And then the Jets at four once again. Equanu is a hot landing spot for him there. That leaves the door open for the Giants at Thibodeau. Now, once again, the Texans and the Jets are absolutely a potential landing spot for Kayvon Thibodeau. They need pass rush help. Uh, This kind of talent is not available, isn't present for your franchise every year, whether it's free agency trades or the draft. But there, I would put it at a 30, 35% chance that he's there for the Giants at five. All right, now let's play a dangerous game. The Giants get there at five, Equanu's gone, and Evan Neal's gone. The Giants know they probably need to get an offensive tackle with one of their first two picks. And probably the only guy left that would be worth one of those two picks is Charles Cross, a guy you mentioned earlier, right? Really good pass protector, good athlete. So 
you know, the Panthers at six could be thinking quarterback or are they thinking offensive line because their offensive line was a disaster? Do you then say, well, you know, we don't think Carolina is going to pick the pass rusher. Do you then pick cross and then wait for Thibodeau at seven? Or are you afraid of a trade up? That's the type of when you're picking only two picks apart. Those are the types of calculations a front office is going to have to make. It is, and it's one that I think this new regime will do a really good job of. I think they understand how the draft falls, knowing from where they come from in Buffalo, seeing how they've played the draft over year. Every year, John, I release, you know, after the draft, uh, a class or two that I show where I had the guy and where that team took all their guys. Because there's always one or two classes where you're like, wow, the value was through the roof. And sure. the year the Bills got Dawson Knox, like that class as a whole for them incredible value and, and that draft a couple of their drafts has really uh you know built the foundation where that franchise is at now the giants need to get a couple of those classes as well so maybe i personally wouldn't do it i, I wouldn't play the variable of the fact that somebody could come up to six because they love thibodeau and the panthers asking price might not be insane we don't know how the panthers feel about this quarterback class if say a month from now, everybody in the world knows that they love Kenny Pickett. They aren't going to pass on Kenny Pickett. Then you can play that game. Right. But then you also know that Cross will still be there at seven. So I would take the higher graded player in Thibodeau at five and worry about things later at seven. And let's not forget, I'll say this with the Giants. Everybody is enamored with offensive line for them, myself included. I will not get away from that. At pick 36, there are going to be good offensive linemen yeah. in this class. So you don't have to panic and put yourself in a corner you can still get help in other ways through this specific draft class later on and pass rushers with Kayvon Thibodeau's tools don't grow on trees no you don't have a chance top 10 yeah you don't have a chance to get one of those unless you have a top five top six top seven pick and you hope that you're not picking in this spot again too often moving forward I'm with you separate these three offensive linemen for me Neil Cross Equanu. Okwanu is a hell of a lot of fun to watch in the run game. He just tosses guys around. Neil's a monster. Cross, we talked about his pass protection. How can these guys help separate themselves at the combine? The same way we kind of saw like the Mekhi Becktons, the Tristan Wirf class from a couple years ago, when those testing numbers kind of separated that group out a little bit. Yeah, well, the measurements always is very interesting for the offensive tackles. Uh, there are teams that still to this day value arm length. And yeah. I think this was a popular conversation around Rashawn Slater last year that was misguided uh, that, you know, some teams thought he couldn't play tackle. And that was real. A lot of teams did value him as a guard. He had one of the best rookie seasons this year quietly as a tackle. So it goes to show you everybody's a little bit unique. So arm length, you know, for some teams will come into play. Neil is a mammoth, and he, he's not a mammoth in the way Becton was. Everybody knew with Becton that as great as he was size-wise and strength-wise, conditioning was always going to be key for him coming into the NFL, and it's still something they are dealing with over there. That's not going to be a question mark with Evan Neal. He carries weight much differently. It's just, it's so athletic, so trim at that size, so explosive at that size. So you don't worry about anything with him with the combine. I think more with that Quanu and Cross, it's how are they going to measure up in terms of length and mass and how they carry it. Equanu's lower body power is off the charts. And when you watch the, you know, at PFF, we, a big stat that we rely on on offensive linemen that we do value is impact run blocking. And Equanu is in like 27% of his run blocks are impact run blocks. That basically means he's putting someone in the dirt and making things happen. And there's times with Equanu, it's two guys in the dirt. So I think that's for me is why he's my top offensive tackle. I don't think you can put enough value on what he does in the run game. And he's not a traffic cone in pass protection. So when you're adequate in pass protection and you are a, I don't want to get insane, but when you have 
you know, look at Trent Williams, right, who's the, the marquee example. He takes over in the run game. If you can get a Quanu to be 70% of that in the future, that's an elite-level player, and there are so many signs of him doing that. With Neil, his balance isn't there as a run blocker yet, but he is lights out in pass pro, and the size and strength profile tell you that he will translate as a run blocker long-term. Has played left tackle, right tackle, and guard. Everybody loves that. Cross is an interesting one because he is so fluid and so smooth in pass pro that he can almost lull you to sleep with how smooth he is. Coming out of that offense, people want to see how he will translate to a more power running style blocker. It depends where he goes. He might not go to a situation that he's on the move all the time, and that doesn't matter. But that is why he's the third guy, usually, where Quanu and Neil, you'll find a 50-50 split from evaluators. I do lean a Quanu, but it's very close. And you mentioned this with the offensive line, and I think it's the case for the edge rushers too before we move on from those two groups. I think this is a pretty deep class, especially with the edge group. You can find, you know, that next group to me is very tight, right? A lot of it is a flavor thing. You know, if you want a big guy, you want a Jeff Karloftis. You know, Adabo, Ajabo, is that a guy you want to roll the dice on? But then you get to the Enigbares, the Jermaine Johnsons, the Boye Mafes. I mean, these are guys that are all going to go in the same range, and they can probably be a starter for you down the road. And you mentioned the offensive tackles. The Giants should have an opportunity to pick off one of those spots that maybe they don't fill at five and seven with their second round pick and even maybe at the top of the third round. Yeah, I think so. I think when you look at it, you know, we're going to have a, a wild amount of first round pass rushers. It's going to be Hutchinson. Yeah. It's going to be Thibodeau. Uh, it's going to be Carl Loftus and Jermaine Johnson in the top 15, which would shock a lot of people if you said that to them a month or two ago. They're just such high floor players because their ability to set a hard edge against the run and show power and a little bit of a varied game as overall rushers. Ajabo could go in the top 15 because he's the opposite. There is no run defense. They knew they had to take him off the field against the run against Georgia, but when you let him stand up, pin his ears back and go, that explosive nature as a speed rusher is as good as it gets in this class. And I really mean that. There is a projection with the Jabo who has, you know, an interesting background. Him and Carl Loftus, not American-born players. So they haven't been playing football since they were five years old like a lot of these guys. There is still projection there for them to get so much better. They will all go in the first round. Like you said, Boye Mafe, probably there at 36 and probably can do a lot of good things for you instantly uh, right away as a rookie in terms of just a pure rusher. When you look at that third round, you have a guy like Nick Benito from Oklahoma, pure stand-up speed rusher, but he has 15 and a half sacks the last two years, and there's a variety of ways he's winning. He's crossing face. He is countering inside. He is winning on the outside as well. So what is Wink Martindale looking for? That's what I love about traps like this, John, is that you learn so much about a new staff we know Wink needs his corners playing man on the outside, and they are going to bring the house. But we know how much he loves athleticism as these guys that can stand up. You look at Jason Away last year when he was coming yeah. to the draft. They took him. He didn't have like a sack his last year at Penn State. He goes to the Ravens. He looks great. So they will put a premium on athleticism for these edge rushers more so than they ever have in recent years. Well, that is a great transition because you mentioned Wink Martindale loves his corners. And there are two corners that are long and play press and have shown they can do it in college against you know, high competition, and that's Sauce Gardner and, and, and Derek Stingley. I think there's going to be a lot of divergence on who's the top guy in a lot of these boards, and heck, maybe someone else might sneak in there for, for some evaluators too. But boy, you watch Stingley as a freshman. I went back and watched him a couple days ago. I mean, you cannot separate from that dude. His hips are unbelievable the way he can yep. he can flip in transition. Then you have Sauce Gardner, who's just, you know, a big physical long guy that just didn't give up a lot of production this year. How do you view those guys? How do you think evaluators would view those guys? You know, how much can Stingley kind of get that where have you been the last two years thing off his shoulders a little bit as we head to the combine? 
Yeah, it's a great conversation because everybody's fascinated by this. I think it's it's actually a little more simple to break down than I initially even expected. I think with Stingley, you are shooting for the stars and going for ceiling. You are hoping that he is Stephon Gilmore of the future, that that length, that recovery speed, uh, the mentality. He loves playing man coverage. That's you know He doesn't want to sit in, in cover three. He wants to line up, you know, a foot away from you and get his hands in your chest and play the football when it comes his way. It, coaches love that. They, that's you could put a premium on players like that. But like you said, we haven't seen a full sample of size that, you know, of that since 2019. Obviously 2020 he's still out there doing it. This year he gets hurt and we just haven't seen or heard from the guy that program went downhill and he kind of went downhill with it, right? As the Titanic sunk, he, yeah. he didn't, you know, rise above it. So there's a lot to unpack there with Stingley. He's a great athlete. He's got great ball skills. He can play press man all day. But do you need that green light? Is that green light going to come back on? Is he going to be the elite player we all thought he'd be? After 2019, he would have been a top three pick. Now we don't know if he's going in the top 10. Then you look at Sauce. It's Everything's the opposite. It's all floor, not really ceiling. The, there's a better sample size of film with Sauce. He was so good in 2020 that this year, quarterbacks were like, we're not we're not throwing your way. We'll try the other side of the field against Kobe Bryant, who's going to be a day two pick, who was a really good player in his own right. And, and Sauce barely saw the football. But Sauce is the same way where he's so physical in press man coverage. What is that recovery speed? It's not going to be the same as Stingley's. I don't think the ball skills will be the same as Stingley's. But honestly, I love corners that you don't know they played a game. I, I like when they don't get, you know, you don't ever hear their name called because quarterbacks don't look on that side of the field. That can be Sauce Gardner. I think a lot of people saw that in J.C. Horn before he got hurt. He did live up to that hype. Can Sauce do that as well? His testing is going to be huge because I think when we come out of the combine, Stingley's going to be an elite tester, assuming yeah. he's full go. On, you know, Some of these guys will wait for the pro day, and, and we're going to have maybe not questions about Sauce. We might be like, oh, did we bet on the ceiling here? Somebody will bet on uh, Stingley's ceiling. I think Sauce gets drafted before him, though. And Stingley was a foot injury, correct, if I'm not mistaken? Yes. Yeah, Week so we'll three. see how we recover from that. Drake London, another guy we'll keep an eye on uh, with that foot injury. Both those guys, you think top 10 picks, Connor? Will they go there, and do they have the value of being true top 10 picks? I don't think so. I, I think uh, you're looking at, you know, where they they won't make it by the Vikings and the Ravens at 12 and 14. So top 15, uh, not a lock at top 10 because we have the variable of the three offensive linemen. We have the two pass rushers that are going to go there. We have Kyle Hamilton's going to go there. And then the huge wild card of whatever the heck this quarterback class brings <laughs> upon us. So they're not locks there. Um, but they are definitely going to grade out as probably both top 10 players in this class. What's your instinct? Do you think a quarterback goes top 10? I do. I, I never bet against it. And I don't Smart know if man. I have one in the, yeah, it's a pretty easy bet. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I will have one in the first round of this entire draft in terms of grades at four last year. They were great as first round quarterbacks, but I think Kenny Pickett, John, I just think Kenny Pickett's floor. Teams love that floor with quarterbacks, and he's an older guy. Uh, some teams will be very scared about the zero percentile hand size. People laugh when I say that, but, I mean, zero percentiles, a.k.a. nobody is playing the position in the league with that hand size. It's very fascinating. So I, I think there's just somebody that, if it's not the Panthers, if it's not a draft and stash, I don't think the Falcons will do it or the, you know, the Broncos will look for a veteran. Uh, somebody might come up to get their quarterback. Matt Corral, Malik Willis are in that conversation as well, more for upside rather than floor with Kenny Pickett. How about this wide receiver class? You know, this to me is your ultimate flavor of ice cream deal, right? Oh, yeah. Garrett Wilson can do a little bit of everything. I mean, you watch Jamison Williams. He's the most explosive player on the field every game he plays in, and it's not close. It's not like anyone's near him. He's, he's, he's just a bullet with the way he plays. Drake London's like the Mike Evans big receiver type. You know, 
how do you break down this wide receiver class? How many you think will go early? And are we just in the world now, Connor, where every year so many teams are running out three, four wide receivers that you're going to find a good player in the second or third round? Yeah, we are. We're in that world. And six will still go in the first round. That's how incredible <laughs> it is. So you're, you're going to have, you know, I like Traylon Burks the best, but I agree with you that it's a flavor situation. I think there's a situation that Garrett Wilson comes in. He, he's a clone of Calvin Ridley in my eyes uh, and goes for 80 and 1,000 out of the gate because he knows how to separate. He knows how to track and he's got juice after the catch. When you could do every, every, you know, three phases of the catch, right? Before, during, and after. When you check all those boxes, you're going to translate. I don't care if you run a 4-5, which he's going he's to run in the 4-5s. You're going to separate because you're so well-coached, you're so well-prepared that the right offenses are going to find a way to get the football your way. Traylon Burks, more in that mold of I'm bigger and stronger and faster than you. Throw the ball my way. I'm going to get it. Or can you manufacture touches for me to create after the catch? And then Drake London, just because it doesn't look great as a separator, right? It's not twitchy. It's not smooth. He's six foot five. It's not going to look the same as everyone else. He's the best above the rim receiver in the entire draft. So those three are locked. They're locked in the first round. We know that. Chris Olave, because of his floor, he's going to go in the first round. Jahan Dotson, I think from Penn State, I think he could be this year's Elijah Moore, where he's an undersized guy. He'll run in the four threes. Uh, he's got good tracking concentration, can catch everything. But that size will have some teams questioning him. He'll be borderline first round, maybe early uh, second round. And then you have somebody like Sky Moore from Western Michigan, yeah. who's Mr. Explosive Plays. I mean, at PFF, we have him at... 31 explosive plays. Those are plays of about 20 yards or more. So I don't care that it was at Western Michigan. If you can create those kind of plays in college football, you're going to do it at the next level. So you have him, uh, David Bell, more of a possession guy. It's a loaded wide receiver class once again because of you know everything going on at 7-on-7 seven seven in football. These guys want to play wide receiver. They're getting the reps at wide receiver. And the way offenses have exploded, they are getting the production as well. And it helps that a lot of them are going to test really well. At some point, are these guys going to realize that if you go play cornerback, you might actually have a better shot because there just aren't as many of them out there? I, I think so. I mean, I think the, the counter argument to that is, as we're seeing in the playoffs, the rules dictate oh, so yeah. much against you as a corner. But if you're you right. are, I mean, if you're an average corner and you get to free agency, you get double digit annual average million dollars a year. You're getting 10 plus million dollars a year guaranteed the first two years of the deal. So I do think there will be some kind of mentality that guys will realize, okay, I'm in such a small percentile of athletes that can play corner. Even if my ball skills are average, I can be a guy at the next level. So maybe it will swing the other way in the next half decade. Final position I want to touch on with you before we talk about combine in general. Off-ball linebackers. You know, I think what Wink Martindale is looking for there is interesting. You look back, Patrick Queen was kind of that undersized speed guy. And, you know, you see, you know, N'Kobe Dean out there and you're like, boy, that, that kind of looks like the same type of guy. You got Devin Lloyd. You know, how do you see this linebacker group and what type of linebacker do you think Wink Martindale will want to fit into his system? Yeah, I think that sideline to sideline speed is what matters the most. Now, the Giants aren't going to use the top 10 at the position, so you probably rule out Devin Lloyd. I have a weird theory with N'Kobe Dean that a lot of people don't agree with. When he comes in around six foot, 220 pounds, I don't think he's this lock for the top 20 that everybody freaks out about if you don't have him in the top 20. And I love the player. I think he's a top 15. Heck, some teams player. might see him as a safety, Connor. I mean, we have this league now where you have strong safeties living in the box yeah. and they can kick out to the slot. They could play too high. So... I think Dean is more in that 25 to 40 range than people realize. Mm. I mean, look at Owusu Koromoa last year. He had yeah. no business going in the second round. He's one of the best rookies this year on the defensive side of the ball. So 
Uh, at 36, if N'Kobe Dean is there, you just take him. You don't even think twice about him. You just take him. But this class is deeper than that. You have Chad Muma from Wyoming who can run sideline to sideline and take on head-on contact a little better than some of those guys. You know, you have Channing Tindall who didn't get as much burn at Georgia, but when he did his last season, about 6'1", 230 pounds, that speed is off the charts. So I think if you're looking for the value guy, I would lean towards Channing Tindall, the linebacker from Georgia, Dean's teammate, uh, just because that athleticism projects so well to Wink's scheme. You talk to teams, you talk to agents. What players do you expect to really, su maybe surprise is the wrong word, but you can go surprise if you want, or just really impress and help their stock when we get through all the testing at the Combine next week? I think Traylon Burks is a lot more athletic than people realize. I, I don't really understand this. Like, I've seen comparisons to Anquan Bolden and, and you know, players like... Burks to me is going to be six foot two. He's going to be between two twenty five and two thirty. Uh, he's a weight room machine, and I think he's going to run a four four. How about AJ Brown? How about that? It's really, really similar. Really yeah. similar guy. So Burks is that kind of guy. Where, and I've seen some DK comps, which is DK's weird. That's a tough one to ever compare someone to. But AJ Brown, that's a really on the money comparison when you look at him. I think he's going to run really well. And assuming London doesn't run, Garrett Wilson's going to run a four five. You know, Olave might run well, but he's not in the same size profile, not even close. Same with Dotson. So you don't you don't count that the same. Jamison's out, who would have absolutely lit up the track. He would have ran sub 4-3. That, to me, screams that Burks can kind of own the wide receiver group because of that size profile, mm. uh, the rare hands. He's almost got 11-inch hands. That's like 95 percentile hands, and it, it translates to tape. He catches everything. He runs really well. Uh, so that's one guy that on the offensive side of the ball, I just think is going to explode. I think when you look at maybe a Jerome Ford, the running back from Cincinnati, the transferred from Alabama, he's really one of the only home run threats in the backfield in this class. It's a class of power. You have Kenneth Walker, you have Isaiah Spiller, you know, Kyron Williams is an undersized guy, but he's more of a contact balance, short area guy. Jerome Ford can hit the home run. So I don't really value the 40 the way I used to at the running back position. Yeah. But if you want a home run hitter, you do value the 40 and Jerome Ford should run really well in that. So I think those guys... People don't look at them as this elite athlete profile or these burner types, and I think they're going to do really well for themselves. Who are the guys that you have to worry about a little bit? That, you know, there might be some concerns, guys that might not test so well, their game speed is better than their test speed. Who are some of those guys that you're going to try to keep an eye on next week? I don't think Trey McBride runs very well, to be honest with you, and it doesn't matter to me. He's my top tight end. I think he's a top 50 pick, no-brainer. He blocks, he catches, he, gets, he doesn't even have to get open to catch the ball. I just don't think he's a straight line kind of speedster, and I don't even know how great the short area is. So when you project a top tight end, and then he goes out and runs in you know the the bottom twenty percentile, you kind of look at it and go, "How are we taking this guy in the top 50? Well, you turn on the tape, you understand that when you block and when you chip and release, there's going to be space for you in the middle of the field. He catches everything at the catch points. So I don't worry about it, but I do think there will be a thought process with. Maybe McBride, maybe Rucker, maybe a lot of the tight end class because they are such a rounded group. They love playing in line. They love blocking. They love throwing their weight around that maybe carrying that kind of weight and dedicating so much of that time. They're not going to be the Gasecki types of the world that they don't block. They're big slot receivers. And, you know, that might hurt you at the combine in the eyes of a lot of people. But coaching staffs will not care about that. No, they won't. And you're right. I didn't see that great separation from Trey McBride and Mobile at the Senior Bowl. But he has such good feel, right? He kind of can just find those open. You saw that in the red zone drills a lot. They did the indoor practice um, at the uh, facility of Southern Alabama. And I think he just had a real good feel for that, you know, for finding the holes in the zone. And I think, general, this tight end class, I think you hit it. You know, maybe you'll have one or two second round picks. 
But I think if you you can find a low end NFL starter in this class in round four and feel pretty good about it, the guy's going to block a little bit, catch the ball when it's thrown to him, not be a star, but be a real solid player at that position for a long time. Easily, and you can get whatever you need. I mean, you look at so many of these schemes that require guys to block, and then you look at so many of these schemes that don't care. They'll play you as an H the whole time off the line of scrimmage. I, I mean, you have McBride, Rucker, uh, Bellinger, and Jake Ferguson. Yeah. They can they can do whatever you need. They're going to live on the line of scrimmage if you want them to. But then you have Charlie Kohler from Iowa State. You have Greg Dulcich from UCLA. You have Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina. You have Grant Calcaterra from SMU. They can play that H role. You can move them around the formation almost, even if you want to use them as an H back in the backfield. Uh, they can be used as move blockers because they are big-bodied players, but they are not going to line up against a defensive end and hold the point of attack. So I like that there's a little bit of everything, and these guys are all seniors. I, I mean, besides Weidemeyer, these guys all stayed as seniors. So the production is there. They have a boatload of run-blocking snaps from high-end programs. They are going to come in, and you can rely on them as a legitimate tight end too from the very first week of practice. We talked about the top of the class. Let's wrap by going over the bottom of the class very quickly here. You know, last year when we had the pandemic, you have a lot of super seniors, a lot of guys stayed in school, actually you have eligibility. We all thought this would be a very deep class. So you look at the player pool, it's I think two or 300 more players than you usually have in, in, in any given year. Do you sense that this year, well, maybe in other years, talent might drop off around pick 100, that maybe this is going a little bit deeper now, 130, 140 guys as opposed to a normal year? It absolutely is. I mean, just look at the lack of the, the combine invites that didn't happen. I think that's where you start that conversation. For me, you know, two wide receivers from Shrine, Jamon Hiley from Coastal Carolina, Jarrett Stearns from Western Kentucky. Insane production for them over the last couple of years. Good route runners. They catch everything. They didn't even get invited to the combine, John. I mean, <laughs> that tells you there are 8 million wide receivers in this draft alone. There, You know, a guy like uh, Diego Fago, you know, he didn't, the linebacker from Navy, he didn't get a combine invite. So there are so many guys that didn't get combine invites that are legitimate draftable players. And that, in my time of doing this, that's just not very common. You, The combine is a very good resource for the league is telling you, whether you love the guy, whether you don't like the guy, the league is telling you probably what's going to happen. That usually means that player that didn't get the combine invite is projected as a seventh round or a priority free agent or just an undrafted camp body. And I think the fact that this class has guys that I looked at as, you know, premium all-star invite shrine game, just a step below senior bowl uh, and a little bit beyond that, that to me says that we're going to get to the sixth round and we're going to go, oh, wow, there, there's a lot of talent on the board that, you know, I, you and I look at talent a little differently than fans. It, it might be a special teamer. It might be a second string player. Uh, but that that is really good for the sixth or seventh round. Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned a couple guys right there before we wrap. Any small school guy that maybe people don't know about that you think might put up some crazy numbers here and might people might be looking like, oh, wow. All right. Maybe we really need to move him up our boards a little bit. I mean, the people that did not watch the corners very closely at the Senior Bowl are, are going to be wowed by Joshua Williams from Fayetteville State, right? And I believe last year we did not have an HBCU player drafted. That, no. that trend is that trend's gone this year. Forget it. That trend will not continue. Joshua Williams from Fayetteville State. He is tall. He is long. He is fast. He is explosive. He is physical. Uh, I loved everything I saw. Whether it's the tape. Then it carried over to the Senior Bowl. And then you wonder, okay, well, that's all great on the actual field. How is it going to look at the testing compared to these high-profile D1 athletes? He's not going to look out of place because he's going to measure in really well. He already has measured in really well. I think he's going to run really well at that size. So when you're looking small school player, 
Uh, I would start with Joshua Williams from Fayetteville, who can work his way into a round, maybe even three or four corner, which is a remarkable rise for wow. somebody that wasn't even in Division One football. Absolutely. Connor, tell the folks where they can find all your great work as we approach the draft. Sure. At Connor J. Rogers on Twitter, uh, everything through Bleacher Report, all our video series, and at PFF NFL Stock Exchange. Uh, we're rolling three times a week, Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. So it's it's been a lot of fun. John, thanks so much. This was great. No problem. Are you are you on that show with Trevor? Is it? Yes. Is, is, did you guys do it? Yeah, and, uh, we, we've had Trevor stick him on our show before. He's great. So, guys, make sure you go check that out. Connor, awesome stuff, man. Good to catch up with you, and I'll see you down at the Combine. You absolutely will. I can't wait. Connor Rogers, thanks for joining us on the Giant Subtle Podcast. We'll see you next time, everybody.